random acts of tangents. I'm Adam. I'm joined by Rex. And Adam is drunk. How <laughs> dare you? Adam is very drunk. How dare you? I don't know what happened if your drunkness just carried over from yesterday when we were drinking, but you were drunk, so... I- I'm not sure what you're talking about. Let's focus at the topic at hand. Okay. Uh, yes, the topic at hand. We are joined by a, a very attractive, very talented, uh, Ashton Swinford. Why, thank you, guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah, our pleasure. Now, the, I, I was looking up as much information as I could about you, because... I'd like to do my preparation for a for a guest, and th- there are so many things that you have going on that are are fascinating to me, and, and and it's just over such a wide area of topics. Now we'll, we'll get try to get to everything if we can. I don't know if we have enough time, but uh, <laughs> never. Uh, but you, you did start off when you were six years old. It says here. Uh, yeah, when I was uh, six years old, my parents were actually squatters in New York City. And they started me by modeling. I used to walk the runway and model like little kids' clothes, oh. like alongside real models. I was just basically like a moving prop. So that's <laughs> that's how I got my first. I earned my first money. My okay. first money that never went to rent because we didn't pay rent. But right. that was it. That's how it's, how it began, and then went into acting and kept doing some modeling and performance art and music. Now and it's just kind of. Spawned from there. All right. Now, you, how long were you in New York? I grew up in New York. Uh, I was born there. I lived there until I was about 10, and then my parents got divorced, and they shipped me off to boarding school, actually. Oh, my God. Oh. Oh, God. <laughs> Let me tell you, boarding school is one of the worst things ever. Do not send your kids to boarding school. I'm telling you this right now. I probably saw more drugs in boarding school than I did my entire life living in New York City. You wow. know, that's the funny thing. That's why my parents didn't send me to Catholic school because of the same exact thing is because it was a Catholic private school. And uh, basically, they've sure her um, assumption or not an assessment, I should say, about the whole situation is that rich kids who are going to private school have money to spend on drugs. So there's oh, yeah. way more drugs at the private schools and in public schools you get like the lower end stuff that kind of everybody's exposed to oh yeah well and it's and it's kids that are ignored like their parents clearly don't love them so they shove them into a school (laughs) they have way too much money and way too much time in their hands and very little parental or adult supervisement so it's like it just is a cesspool of let's get fucked up and see what happens interesting yeah. Oh, yeah. Interesting. See, I, I went to a private school, and there wasn't a whole lot of drugs it, it, that I was exposed to. That you know about. Yeah, that I know about. Yeah. Uh, although I was pretty naive and, like, super religious, so I, maybe I was blind to it at that time. <laughs> uh, looking back, I can see there may have been something going on that with the with the popular kids uh, hiding behind the school for some reason. <laughs> it's obvious now, of course. I thought they were telling secrets about me. Oh, uh, no. Huh? It was just drugs. Oh, okay, drugs. Yeah. <laughs> that makes me feel better. It's <laughs> not you. Okay, yeah. so, so you, you grew up in New York. Have you been yeah. back since then? Um, yeah, I moved back um, after... I went actually straight from high school. I got recruited to play soccer for the University of Minnesota. Oh. So I went out. I didn't even know where Minnesota was. Somebody had to show me on a map. I was like, where is it? Get me out of here. I hate the East Coast. Somebody... And, and, uh, I actually, I got off the plane and I freaked the fuck out. It was like, I was like one of those African tribes who's never been out of the jungle. Like I could see sky 360 degrees around me and I freaked out. I was like, children of the corn, they're coming for me. Like I didn't know what to do. He was like, no, what's going on? I just got off the metal bird. Yeah. (laughs) Mom, 
take me back. Take me back. I need buildings and concrete and stuff. So it was actually, it was really cool though, because I met some of the most amazing people in Minneapolis. They're, they're really, really cool because it's a really young community. It's a very like, arts focused community. And I mean, fuck, the winters there are so evil that you have to learn how to create your own fun just because you're stuck inside with other people all the time. So right. everyone's really, really good hearted and fun. And we invented some ridiculous shit to do in the middle of winter. I, I'm not even going to begin to tell you. Uh oh. All right. I think I think I maybe I will. I'd end up killing people. That's what would happen. Well, that does happen. Oh. Cargo, that's you a, know, that's a healthy yeah, reaction, exactly. by the way. That that does what? happen. <laughs> I'm, I'm not. <laughs> that I'm He's been watching out. a lot of Dexter. Right, He's yes. really excited about the new season. Yeah, absolutely, that's, that's obvious. Oh. <laughs> I need but, a moment. Yeah, Go ahead, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, I like that noise. Continue. It's interesting. All right, well, sure you, you, you made your own fun. What, what kind of fun? Um, well, we invented this game where we, obviously it's like super flat there. So there's not really a place to snowboard. I'm a big snowboarder. And so we had our buddy with a pickup truck take it out into a cornfield and we put this like rope on it. Like you would, um, skiing, uh, water skiing. Yes. And just had him like flip donuts, and we were just like <laughs> behind it on the snowboard, like doing whatever we could. It was awesome. This is a totally cornfield? dangerous. Oh yeah, oh yeah. yeah. Ah, so maybe that's where all the uh, crop circles come from then. <laughs> all the uh... clearly <laughs> interesting. It's, it's just kids it. having fun. Mm-hmm. All right. Now I, the reason I was so curious about New York is because I have this theory that I was starting to develop on the uh, on the last episode. Mm. I, I got a lot of flack from my my fellow co-hosts. Because I had just spent a week there, or uh, actually it was two days there. It felt like a week is all the stuff that I was doing. But I, I came to the opinion that there are so many more awesome things to do in New York than there are in Los Angeles that I kind of favor New York more now, even mm-hmm. after only two days. Cool. And I challenged, I challenged everybody to name some things in L.A. that if somebody came from out of town without having been here before, what would you show them that is, would just blow their mind? From New York? Not yeah. much. Okay. Well, the thing about New York is that it's it's magical. Like you you walk out your door and you have no idea what the fuck's gonna happen to you that day. Like you could meet some person and end up in some private place that's you never seen before, and there's just like, it's just the the possibility is endless there. Mm-hmm. And there's things that you don't even know exist behind secret doors and people, and you know it, it, it's just it's it's purely magic and there's the energy is so fast paced that you can't help but be swept away by it which is Absolutely. cool too so instead of doing like three things in a day like you do here you do like 10 things in a day yeah. so the experiences are more compact too so it's just like bow 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 and it doesn't stop it seems more adventurous yeah. I'd, I'd give it that when i went to new york it was a lot like that but um not to take away from new york but i definitely think that there are things specific to la new york i like could, it you could show them <laughs> those things and it would, you know, blow them away. Maybe not from New York, but okay. there are definitely things from, specific to L.A. True, true. I uh, like that. I want a giant park that has culture. That's what I want. <laughs> <laughs> Good luck. Okay, so moving on from New York, because I could talk about it for a long time. And it's Me not, too. Oh, is that okay? But, but that's, that's less to do about you, though. Let's, right. get, let's get back to you. Oh, all right. Okay. Yes, More about me, around. yes. If you have to. <laughs> yeah. Now, you were part of something called the uh, Toussaint Morrison's Hip Hop Theater? Yes, yes. Actually, that was a, a project that I did in Minneapolis. 
out of college, I got cast in this production by one of Tuzat Morrison's uh, productions, who's actually an amazing spoken word artist, and he has his own band called The Blend, which is really cool. And he created this type of theater that was a mix of spoken word, hip-hop, and theater together. So it had this uh, Greek format where it would be play, and then there would be an interlude of spoken word that would be the chorus that would reflect what is going on in the story. So it would just kind of, uh, it would be like another stamp on what is actually happening and it was really really done so tastefully that we drove people to the theaters that had never seen a show in a theater before and it was amazing people were so moved by it and they they came up to it afterwards and the shows were so successful that we ended up doing i ended up doing two seasons with them in the second season instead of just uh doing spoken word like i was the first season i had a major role in the acting part of it which kind of spawns my theater craze from then on i was like after my second season with them i was just totally addicted because of the catharsis of it and what it did for people it was just it blew my mind what you can do with theater to change people's minds especially in a city like minneapolis where we have a lot of racial issues there's there's a lot of um Somalian community. There's a really large Somalian community that are, that's very private and not accepted by a lot of the other parts of the community. There's a large um, African American community, which the cops there are really hound down on them. They try to blame everything on the black people what? there. It's like ridiculous. It's ridiculous. And there's amazing hip hop that comes out of Minneapolis. That's the whole fucking dichotomy of the the whole situation. Is that's that what I was saying. You're saying most of their issues. art. There's tons. When, t- when I think hip hop, so I, white I, I bread, think, Min- Min- yeah, exactly. Minnesota. Yeah, I mean, exactly. come on. There's like white people, white people are the majority there, but in the city, in an urban setting, it's like not necessarily true. But they definitely like to keep, they definitely like to keep people segregated there. And in a really old school way, and they like to keep low income housing very far out of the city. And it's just the cops definitely they'll pull you over for being black. There is what Tucson always would oh, say. Lord. So you know, <laughs> our our plays were always a stab at what the issues were within the city and why we were thinking that you know different people were different things was only because of an ignorance that we had already had in place so they did a lot of really cool things to bring a lot of people together into a theater to kind of change their minds about shit and to us that was like the best we could do and our cast was totally multiracial we were all a family and we all hung out and it was just it was a really beautiful thing that we did and it kind of inspired us all to kind of continue with our own thing a lot of those kids are professional spoken word artists now and making their own hip-hop projects and in theater so it's it's good it's good to see that that project spawned something much bigger so i I can relate to the whole being on stage and just falling in love with it you're talking about when you're part of the uh the hip-hop theater Mm -hmm. that's that's kind of how me and rex started Kind of actually, how we met was in a theater class. Yeah, definitely. Ah, that's amazing. Yeah. And I previous to then, I had never been on stage. And once mm. I got on stage, and I started just, I was getting laughs was pretty much how, how it was. It was a comedy. Yeah. Thing. I, I just I fell in love instantly, and that's where I, I I was there for the next two or three years. And I think that kind of helped spawn this whole podcast thing, trying to be in in a format in front of people trying to entertain that's, yeah that's, definitely me, that's how it works i work with this woman in new york named robin lee who believes that as performers and i think we're all performers here is that we act in a way that we become prisons for people's energy so with the attention of people's energy we let it flow through us to teach them something yes. about themselves so it's not even about us and that's the whole goal is that if i can serve a greater purpose to teach somebody something about themselves then i've done my job 
You know, like there's there's a lot of people who act because they they want attention, they want something from you, and you can feel a difference in their performances rather than somebody who does it selflessly, who really commits so much to the character. Like, you know, so many of the actors that we idolize, you can see that they they turn into somebody else yeah. to teach you something about yourself, and that's what really moves us all when we're watching movies, when we're watching theater, and we're listening to music. It's how do it's, you feel about acting styles? I think that's a weird like because uh, I've have I have this. Sh- little shtick about method actors mm-hmm. uh, but i mean how how do you feel about method method versus other inter- like approaches towards acting well i think i think the word method has become something a, a beast in its own self right. is that people have an idea of what method acting is and really uh you know method acting is a lot of different things there's a, there's a lot of different styles of acting and um the Lee Strasberg way is not just the only way. It's not something that, you know, we all study different things. I went to the to Stella Adler School of Acting. So we, she believes that it's more, you're playing a game. So you're playing a role. And it's the method part. It's like whatever helps you get to that end means is whatever works for you. Like you have to, you can call it whatever the fuck you want to call it. But I like did. as mm-hmm. long as it moves people, you're doing your job. But you have to treat it like brain surgery. You know, okay. like you can't, you can't just go up there and say the lines, just hope that it's going to work or, you know, and, yeah. and a lot of Hollywood actually does work like that. Like a lot of the projects that I've, um, the difference between New York and LA is that LA is more about just coming in and schmoozing and being, you know, friendly yeah. with people yeah, and no. connections yeah. and, and New York, it's strictly about talent. So you walk in, you're super cold. You don't even ask, you, you don't even like ask the person how their day is. You're just like, yep, this is my job. I'm doing it and I'm out and may the best actor win. And, and I think that mm-hmm. that's really respectable and it comes from a more theater base. So we kind of have that pride about our work that we don't feel like we should have to do that. But well, I definitely I just, I get recommended here. Because when I was reading about like you, I, I noticed that you have somewhat of an expertise in this and that you actually, I think you helped write a book or you recited I did, a book. Yeah. And, yeah. and uh, it's just my personal feeling, you're right, it is very ends, means, you know, whatever works. But I think it's funny that like somehow people have this idea that you need to engross yourself in a character completely to pull off the character i'm like well how how egotistical and and centrist <laughs> do you have to be where where you can't see anything from anybody else's perspective to the point where you have to completely immerse yourself in their being oh. to, to actually understand where they're coming from yes. interesting i'm that's like an interesting that's, spin you got there i do i i think it's a, it's an actually kind of more huh. selfish approach to things where i'm just like well obviously you fucking just are really one-sided with everything yeah <laughs> see I, I feel like i would do it for fun yeah to, the, to do the method to talk with people <laughs> just to, just because i think it'd be fun to, to play somebody else in real life not just on the stage I, uh-huh. i'd become this crazy person or what whatever the the role is and just do that to people that already know me that have them be confused as hell like well, mm. joaquin phoenix did a thing like that recently where he, he <laughs> pretended to go like completely psycho and crazy for his documentary yeah, mockumentary exactly. thing quote unquote right yeah and he was on david letterman like like it seemed like he was stoned out of his oh he something. did it yeah he yeah, did like, it he, he went full crazy man yeah but everybody, everybody kind of knew that that he was kind of not being himself i mean i don't think anybody thought he was legitimately yeah. crazy he just right. was like all right this is very weird and, yeah. and that was kind of an appeal about it yeah. i feel like i might do the same kind of thing right i'd go just 
nuts just to see people's reactions. Just to fuck if with If I people. can convince people that I don't know that that's who I am, they're like, oh, all right, maybe I got something down. And if my friends can look at me like all crazy, then that's extra fun for me. Perfect. Because I, I don't think so. <laughs> no? I think I'd, I'd, I'd see it coming from a mile away, my friend. Yeah, well, no, of course you would, but I'd have oh, yeah. fun fucking with you. No, it's it's <laughs> kind of like when you go all in on 2-7, you know, I'm going to no. call you on that. That's <laughs> just, just the way it goes. Yeah, well... The, in in the book, it's again. I, I did this book with Robin Lee, was a woman I was talking yes. about, who she has a more artistic reason for acting. So it's you come into a performance state, and in that performance state, you are capable of so many other things that you aren't in the day to day life. You're not, you you know, you're less humble. You're more open, and you're more receptive to what's going on around you, and the people, and the other actors on stage, and what you're being fed, and the character. So from the second you pick up the script, you're already digesting that. So you're really already kind of living as the character because parts of you are coming out from the from the moment that you pick that up. And so you don't necessarily have to be in character the entire time that you're filming or whatever, but you it is part of you because we are all actors in daily life. We choose how we act yeah. in everyday life. So we're the people that are directing our own movie. So it's kind of this idea that we're doing enough already. You don't need to put on this other face to pretend that you're this person for this ex- this extent of time because we as humans all have those things inside of us. We just have to pull it out when the, when they hit say, yeah. you know, go. <laughs> I, I always thought that a big part of acting was having the ability to feel empathy for mm-hmm. people. That if you can feel empathetic towards anybody, then you should by nature be able to reenact that, that feeling yourself. So, and, and although it's, it sounds kind of douchey, like what's my motivation when somebody says, what's my motivation for this, for this scene that I feel like it's important because that it, it gives you the empathy for whatever that is and puts you more in character to understand what's happening. Because, I mean, anybody can try to pretend to be sad, but it, there, there's a different type of sadness that if you can channel it and relate to something that happened to you to kind of bring out a better performance, I think. Yeah. No, certainly. I mean, I think empathy is important for all human beings. So I think this world would kind of be a better place if we all had a, had some empathy for other people. You know, if we don't just walk by people on the street. I mean, there's tons of people that ask you for money and you're not supposed to give them all money. They're probably right. going to use it for drugs anyway. But like yeah. just to have that thought in your mind of what that person is going through, you know, like there's people in New York who get drunk and just like fuck with bums. I mean, come on, man. If that person's life isn't hard enough already, yeah. it's, you know, it's like, you know, just just think about the other person, you know, he can't be a complete asshole to somebody, you know, working at Starbucks or something who's fucking there because of such and such consequences. Mm-hmm. You got to think about what they're going through. There's no reason to be an asshole to people you don't know for sure. Hands down, especially the people who serve you. I mean, let's just, fu- you're just fucking with fate. Oh, there. No, <laughs> they're yeah, going to like spend your shit. Yeah, exactly. yeah. But I mean, they're there for a reason and they're, they're no less good, better or worse than you. You know, if you just had thought for two seconds about what that person is going through to be in that position you would think more like uh like i got my freaking car towed the other day and i walked in there and i I know it's such a bummer right and i'm and i you know my first thought was like dude these guys probably get yelled at all day long that's probably the last thing they want to hear you know and it was like five minutes to closing they could have been complete assholes to me and i was just so nice to them because i was like you know what you guys probably take all the shit from everybody in la and there's some (laughs) fucking douchebags in la i feel so bad for you oh absolutely you know and they're like telling me stories and they're like we made friends and they gave me a bottle of water i mean credit i still had to pay them like 400 bucks in my car out but you know (laughs) like it was i was gonna have to do it either way why would i have to be a dick about it yeah, you know, they, I, I, they I don't get need that. that. I, I feel that way a lot about things that 
Well, just in general. I, I, I used to get really upset about things. I don't get as upset anymore. I kind of t- tend to laugh it off because there's a lot of... There's a lot of just emotion wasted on on getting angry. I I, I do I do have lapses. I Are you serious? Lapses. I'm I'm angry right now because <laughs> your drink's empty. Yes. <laughs> Quite possibly. That's a legitimate reason, by the way. That's I mean, I know it's my own. You're allowed. But I mean, why not add that to the list of things I might be angry about that are my own fault, anyways? Just like everyone else. Yeah, but I, I found that it's it's more. Effective. You can let it go. Yeah, yeah it's, it's more effective to just step away and try to work through whatever situation is. Totally. Because being angry, you're just, you're just wasting time. Yeah, uh, and it doesn't what, solve anything either way. Yeah, plus you make rash decisions, which mm-hmm. always lead to just more things that are going to piss you off later. So it, I, I find it's better to just kind of try to pull yourself out, take a second if you need it, but pull yourself out and try to work your way out of it. Are you serious? Because I'm the other way completely. Is that right? I don't know if I'm just like the dark side of the force or what the fuck (laughs) on this one. Yes, you are. But personally, (laughs) I found that like later on in life, like as I went through college and all this shit, and the major thing that was was kind of motivating me through the entire thing was my own vindication. It it was my my vengeance towards the world. I feel like the the world had dealt me a uh, misfortune that was undue, and it was my responsibility to take back from the world and put myself in my place. Yeah, you gotta stick up for yourself sometimes. That part is true. But but it was it was kind of anger based, and Mm. and it wasn't it wasn't kind of just like oh well I I desert. It wasn't entitlement. It was really just I was angry, and I felt like actually. During my senior year in college, uh, right right before I graduated, I had a huge crisis because I, I was actually happy with my life, and that, that was an issue <laughs> for me. I don't know how to be happy. Yeah, because I was just like, "Whoa, where's my motivation? I, I, I'm not motivated anymore because I'm not mad at the world." So, I mean, you know, for, I, for I, me, I kind of kind of kind of miss that, Rex. My fool. My, I mean, my 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 fuel. It is really that's the thing that's driving me. The thing that's pushing me a lot of times is, is I'm pissed off and I'm going to vindicate myself. I'm going to show everyone, you know, th- how good I am. Yeah, and, th- and that yeah. can be a very, very big contributor to accomplishing things. If you use, if you, if you tackle it the right way, it can be very useful. But if you just kind of let yourself spiral out of control, then you're not used to anybody. But I, I just, I just, I'm feeling like. Ashton is Yoda, and I am Darth Sidious in this, okay. this situation. We all are. We all are in situations. But the the one thing, my Yoda is is Robin Lee, this woman that that I that I co-wrote this book with, which is called In the Moment: The Art of Being. If anyone's interested in it, but it, you know, the one thing she taught me was that we are not our emotions. We are the being that watches the weather of our emotions pass over us. We choose how we want to interact with them. We choose how long mm. we want to sit in them. I mean, as an actor, we use them as paints. Those are their, our colors. That's how we create a performance. But, you know, as human beings, we still have that same ability. We choose to be angry. We choose to be sad. We choose to sit in those feelings as long as we feel comfortable sitting yes. in those feelings. But we also have the choice to not feel those feelings. We have the choice to be like, okay, I'm feeling anger and all of a sudden, and I'm putting away in this box because there's no fucking reason for that shit. You know, like, I got shit to do. I'm not going to sit here and feel sorry for myself. You know, like, yeah. that happens to us all the time. And and if we can make that mental decision to change. And change is instantaneous the second that we choose that we want to be different. It doesn't take a long process. It doesn't take therapy. It doesn't take years of fucking changing your behavior. It just takes you changing your mind. And yeah. that's it. And, and it is that simple. It's just a matter of... You knowing that that's that simple. 
Yes, you, that you, is very true. You are very persuasive. Let me drink your Kool-Aid. <laughs> I will say that. Here it is. It's cold in Manhattan. Yeah. <laughs> All right. No, but I, what you're saying makes a lot of sense. Although the, the one thing that I do have to say about it is as far as putting things in a box, I, I have found for myself that's not very good because for mm. me, and, and this is actually a Mad TV sketch from back in the day where this guy, he was – the happy guy, always happy all the time, and he'd come home and he'd tell his roommate, or his roommate would tell him, like, oh, dude, I, told you, I, I borrowed your car and I crashed it, I'm sorry, and he'd be like, it's okay, put it in the happy box. <laughs> and then it's like, stuff like that would keep happening, and eventually the guy is like, oh, sorry, I didn't pick up the newspaper from the driveway, and he's like, what? And he, and he exploded and he killed everybody. Oh, He killed well. everybody. <laughs> yeah, so... Happy box is good for a point, but I, I think it, instead of putting it in a box, it's, it's better not to a kind box. Of, it's but it's not a box. It's not, yes. not what I'm saying. It's not, I'm not saying put it away. It's like you're allowed to feel that emotion, yeah. and you should feel it. But you should also know that that feeling does not define who you are. So it, you can feel it for a moment, but you know that you don't necessarily have to act out of that feeling. Exactly. You yes. know what I mean? So that's the difference. Is you're not you're not bottling it. You're not taking it and throwing it out the window. You're just being like, okay, I'm angry. I'm fucking angry. I'm so fucking pissed right now god but that happens and you know what being angry about it is not going to change what the fuck is happening Mm -hmm. so there's really no point being angry so next you know it's like i'm over it i've felt it and i'm done with it so i'm on to the next feeling you know you have the choice to start your day over at any point in the day nobody says it's when you wake up and you start that brand new day you're like all right fuck this day i'm done with it starting over right now Okay, so what's up next? Yes. You know, like you have that choice. We all have that choice. Absolutely. And I feel like in LA a lot of people really do kind of sit in their in their in their shit for a while, you know? And I think we would all benefit from just fucking letting it go. Rolling with the punches. I mean, go with the flow. There's no reason that none of our emotions are going to change what's, what is happening to us. You know, if we're sitting in traffic, the guy in front of us and going, a, going on a green, you know, there's no fucking, we have a lot of stress in our lives because we drive so much here, but that, that is no a weakness of mine. I find myself getting very, very angry in traffic. No, totally. I hear you, man. <laughs> or I'm, I'm, yeah, and good thing, I'm debating gonna... having rotten eggs in my car just to check <laughs> at some people, but yeah. hey, whatever helps me get yeah. it. I, I'll put on some Lincoln Park or something, and I'll just and I'll just start yelling, and I'll be fine. But yeah, there you go. Windows have to be up though, because if, if if I don't if I keep my windows down, <laughs> well, yeah, I feel scared that you're still listening to Lincoln Park. Yeah. <laughs> yes, <laughs> no other reason. <laughs> I, I agree. Ah, like oh, how dare you! <laughs> I actually just saw a, a concert special with them on, and yeah. it, it kind of reignited my my my. I guess liking of them. You know, a they? funny story about Linkin Park. I okay. was actually really into them when they came out, and I thought it was me too. Because I was, too. I was into industrial music at the time, and they're this, not really this, industrial. This story upsets me. By they're the much, way. they're <laughs> much more popular. Industri- I know it upsets you. Okay, I know it upsets you because I don't like shit that other people like. Because I don't want to be one of them. All right, and that upsets you me, fucker. <laughs> now, now the thing is, I stopped We're liking them because here. they became extremely popular, and I don't just, I don't want to be one of those fucking sheep people with MTV heads. Right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I stopped liking You're them, and then I went cheap. to Summer Sanitarium with uh, Metallica and uh, Linkin Park was there, and Deftones and Mudvayne and and some bands, and and it was funny because Chester came out from Linkin Park, and he's just like bringing high energy, and there's there's a lot of Linkin Park fans in the crowd and everything, and he goes out and and to pretext this, I should say Linkin Park never ever 
cuss in in any of their songs in the and first few in, albums. in their in the, well in the first few albums up until that point basically yeah. they had never cussed and the funny thing is chester comes out on stage and he's just like jumping around going all crazy and he's just like all right you guys ready to fucking rock and the crowd was just dead silent for a moment there because they didn't know how to react to the fact that he had just cussed and they're just <laughs> like wait wait did you come here for that yeah i came here for that yeah, yeah. yeah there was kind of like a, a, an audible delay that everybody was there to rock, and they weren't sure yet because they, <laughs> they were the they were there sure if they were ready to fucking rock. Oh, yes, yeah. yes, but they were ready to rock. I was here to rock. Were you to fucking rock? Did you just say fuck, man? He said fuck. Yeah, he did. He's you know allowed what? now. You know what? I could go for some fucking rock. I yeah. could go. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. The thought process. Exactly. You heard it happen. Right. But, but concert-wise, they did a good job. And I was like, all right, cool. I'll, I'll admit to being into Linkin Park. Oh, because they cuss now? Yeah, but then they released that other album where it was just like a remix of their first album. I'm like, fuck you. No do-overs. <laughs> you don't get yeah. that. You don't get a mulligan that on is your released. first album, you fuck. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that was upsetting. No. Like, it. Out of their like first four albums, two of them were pretty much repeats. Right? Mm. That, that was a little upsetting. I, I would yeah. give you that. But they still know how to fucking rock. Oh, they, they give do. you an emotion. <laughs> I used to listen to Linkin Park before every soccer game because it would get me so pumped yeah. that I would fucking slide tackle a bitch. That's and right. I would not care. <laughs> <laughs> it was great. Fantastic. I love it. Love it. All and right. now you can't feel your shins. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good thing. That's what the karate people do, right? Or, right? Oh. Is that what they you roll do? their shins. Oh, so they, they, they kick kill bamboo the for hours or something. That's terrible. Uh, that's really old school. Uh, I don't know. It's like binding your feet for men. Oh, bound <laughs> feet are so sexy. Oh. <laughs> Here we go. Yeah. Not because it, it not because it's sexy in itself. It's just I hate feet, and bound feet are smaller than regular feet. So the smaller they are, the less visible they are. So the, in my mind, that's just so great. the less feet you have to hate. Exactly, you have I less you. net footage. That's what it is. Net footage. Yeah. <laughs> right. Is that a technical term? It, it is. It is. It's one I created up just right now. I like it. It's, it works. It does for it your like an industry hate term. fetish. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. Aren't we interviewing an actress? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes, that's right. Actually. Right. Yes. No, so, right. so you helped Robin Lee with the book. Yes. After that, you started something called the – or you, you became manager of the Moment – Repertory? In the moment, repertory was something that we created together, which is based on her method, which is all about the... Based on the book? Yeah, it's it's the same methodology. We basically, she's um, she's been teaching for a long time. She's from Australia. And I wanted to make sure that she got her craft down in a book form before she got too old to be able to you know teach it. So okay. it's... She's still teaching it today. She's kicking ass, taking names. But this is a method that works really well for a lot of people. She does she does teach out here in LA sometimes. But uh, she is somebody I recommend all actors to study with because it is that very much in the moment. It's very improv-based. It's very like you exist between two emotions always. You're always between polar opposites. You're always between, you know, whether it's love and hate or or disdain and love i mean <laughs> it's always love and hate it always seems like it comes back to love and hate but sounds like donnie darko oh yeah it's totally it's totally emo <laughs> like that what can i say but we exist between polar opposites all the time and when we as actors like the paint i was talking about is all different emotions in between those mm-hmm. so even though we have those two poles we may you might use you know jealousy and spite and you know fear and Malice. You know, malice. Thank you. <laughs> you know, all these other different things within that, those boundaries. But it's just like, it's just like if an art teacher gives you a blank piece of paper and she says, create something. It's just like, what? Mm-hmm. What the fuck do I do? Mm-hmm. But if somebody tells you, create something that is an animal, then all of a sudden you have 
this creativity to go with. And, and she kind of mm-hmm. gives you that. And it's, it's definitely a methodology, methodology that's, uh, specifically for, um, stage performance, but you can, you can totally hone it to a film kind of setting, which is great for it because it is so mental. And it, and it's when you see it work on actors, it works instantaneously because it is about changing your mind. It's, mm-hmm. it's about like all of it. You're a bad actor. Okay. Change your mind. You're a good actor now. Like it's, it's, no. it's about putting the work into it. It's not, you're not a bad actor because you, you don't portray the role, right? You're not portraying the truth in it correctly. So you're not actually in, in putting into it your experiences as a human. So once you tap into that, you're automatically a good actor. So it's, it works for Mm. people so quickly, her method, and that it's just, it's mind blowing. So we started this theater company called In the Moment, which we, it was all actors that have studied her methodology who put up a play together. And we have done a couple productions now. It's actually still going off in New York, uh, doing, um, mostly new productions that are looking for funding. So we do some like, you know, pre-production stuff, we'll do readings, we'll do uh, plays, they're working on a musical now, um, really cool stuff. But from that, I, I'm more kind of interested in the experimental work because I love testing shit and okay. I love kind of pushing the boundaries. So Beautiful. from that, I started a company called uh, The Invisible Theater. Yes, I wanted to ask you about that. Yeah, which to me is way, way more interesting, mostly because it's mine. All right. But, <laughs> no, it, it, it has to do more with – it's the same methodology, but it takes theater. And instead of having it on a stage where you're shoving messages down people's throat and you're saying, I think I know what you need to learn and this is my message for you, it's definitely more about – um, taking theater off of a performance stage. Okay. okay. It's more on the street level. So it's, it's just as much my space as it is your space. So it's something that we share communally. So it has to be a public space that it's, it's not necessarily, uh, yours or mine. It's both of ours. So, so when you, can I go ahead, please, when you say that, do you mean that you are actually acting out in the open or are you on stage somewhere imagining that you're in that setting? There's no stage. Okay. That's the whole goal of it. In fact, nobody actually knows it's a show. So you're just oh. creating oh. a piece that's extraordinary. It is out of the ordinary. It is a spectacle. It's something that's going to draw your attention, but it's on the same level as you are. So the idea is to get people involved in the production that are not necessarily part of the production okay. because they don't even know that it's a fucking production in the yeah. first place. So so I'm going to try to get in an argument with this person. And then I'm going to try to see what you think about it and see if it, you have an opinion. And I'm going to plant another actor who's in the crowd who's going to tell me something who doesn't look like he's involved in our conversation at all I'm going to have him say his opinion and have someone else over here say their opinion in the hopes that you, who is not a part of the production, you get to speak up and we get to hear your voice about it. You know so what this it, is? It's sparking a communal conversation is the whole goal of the theater. And nobody will ever know that it's a show. It's, it dissipates at the end and it's just done. It's it's gone and it was a real occurrence and the people that were there that watched it and didn't participate get to go home and they say, "Honey, you'll never guess what I saw today." You know, and the conversation is, comes up again. You know what this is? This is theater fight club. 
You all yeah, have it's fucking theater you, fight you, club. You all have homework assignments. I want you to go out and start a fight with a stranger. <laughs> it's true. I want you to lose. It's true. Yeah. I like it. Nice. I'm going to rename the shit, man. That is, that is so much better <laughs> than what I was yeah. Now, I, I just started doing talk some. about it. It's the first we time. Can't. Oh, right. oh uh, shit. Uh, Here we on. go. Rule anyway. one is broken. No, but I, I just started doing something, that, uh, and up until he brought up the Fight Club thing, I was about to say, it, it reminds me of that, but on a much lower level. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a flash mob. Yeah. The, it's something that I've, I've seen on TV shows. I've seen, it was like on CSI at one point. It was uh, Modern Family had a little bit about it. Uh-huh. So I just decided, you know, I want to be part of a flash mob. So I looked it up. I found something, and uh, I joined it the next the following weekend, it was they they did this improv everywhere. No, no, no. Oh, they, they, great, they, they did the uh, the dance for the uh, Gangnam style. Oh yeah, Gangnam style. However you say yeah, that. Yeah, you thing. would. Yeah, yeah. No. <laughs> yeah. But it was very weird because did it, you smell like kimchi afterwards? Gundam. Just wondering. <laughs> like the machines? <laughs> no, it was uh, no. It's it's his new. It's his Korean dude, uh, Sai. He's okay. got this, uh, he's got the song that's called Gangnam Style or Gangnam Style. However you say. It. I don't know. We'll, sh- we'll show you the video afterwards. It's freaking hilarious. Uh, I, I equate him to the Korean version of like LMFAO because they're like okay. so outrageous, but not taking themselves seriously. Like they yeah, know it's, it's intentionally. They're doing yeah. a parody of themselves. Yes, it, it, yeah. it's a joke. Aren't we all? Yeah. So <laughs> anyway, and it's got this weird dance that you pretend like you're riding a horse, and it's it's very weird. But anyway, the the, the whole thing about the flash mob was, and and this is what kind of was weird to me about it. It was for this guy to propose to his girlfriend. Mm. I don't know how this song equates to anything romantic whatsoever. Wait, mm. what, what song was it? Game Style. Oh, yeah, that's right. I'm yeah. sorry. Yeah, and, and it was in the Wait, middle of... Yeah. Yeah. And Why? It, it was in the middle of an outdoor like a mall right outside of a Buffalo Wild Wings and AMC Theater in front of a bunch of random people. It's very romantic. Right? <laughs> dancing around. I love it. So we did Strangers the, we did the whole dancing. Dance. Yeah, the, the whole dance, everything. As soon as the dance was over, we did our final pose. We got together. We like made a circle around him, and he proposed, and said yes. And it was... I, I don't know how that's romantic... But it was fun for me. It's because a production. It was, it was a flash mob. Yeah. Because you're like walking around like acting like, what's this music happening around me? I don't understand. Well, dance, dance. dance. <laughs> and everyone's like, what? Everyone's taking pictures and stuff. That's cool. But that's just more fun for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel like seeing what, what you're talking about, starting a, a fake argument or no, a legitimate argument with a stranger mm-hmm. and having somebody else intervene, that that gets my blood pumping more than anything, even as a spectator seeing that. Because mm-hmm. I, I feel like I need to do something. I need to react. But That's the idea is know. that you're supposed to. to. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's the, that's the goal is is that, you know, our first piece that we did was on a New York City subway at rush hour. So there was it was oh. crowded with people. And you could see the video. It's at invisibletheater.tumblr.com is, is the video. Okay. And um, it, it was really cool because, you know, we had people. It was a marriage proposal gone awry so there's there's the guy sits down and he's like and he's like will you marry me and everyone's like this there's this one woman who goes say yes please say yes (laughs) and i go no is this an asian woman you're imitating no german Uh, German. Uh sure watch the video (laughs) okay i'm I'm gonna tell you it was neither but (laughs) that's because my bad accent anyway uh so but that's the whole goal. I mean, the first piece just involved uh, two characters and a lot of hidden cameras. 
but there's um, we're working on a production here in LA, which is way more difficult to tell you the truth because a lot of people feel less involved in their surroundings because they have their car and they have their home and they just feel like they're visitors at places. And mm, in yes. New York City, you know, we have this the even the sidewalks. It's you know, if you're walking in my path and you don't get out of the way when I'm like going and getting by you, like we get angry about that. You know, mm. like hmm. we're on our own path. Like yeah. this is my sidewalk just as much as it's your sidewalk because we both have to walk to fucking work we both have to go get where we're going and yeah and the, the, i'm sorry to interject here but just to illustrate this point with a specific example when i was in dc mm-hmm. the the protocol when you're getting on the metro on the escalators is you have to stand on one side if you're just gonna sit if you're just stand. gonna stand on the escalator because everybody that's walking that's getting someplace needs to get to some place yeah. and they want to walk around you. We don't have that in LA. But in yeah. D- in DC and New York, they have that. And at one point, we me and somebody else, we were all in a group going to some bar or something and we're all standing on as a group on the escalators cuz we're, you know, halfway drunk anyways and we forget. And some guy walks by and he just like kind of wedges his way in between t- two of the girls in our group and he goes, "Go back to fucking Ohio." <laughs> it's true it's true i mean we all live at different paces you know but there are some niceties like that that we have in cities where it's like dude people are on totally different levels yeah where they act like human beings instead of uh, (laughs) self-entitled assholes in la like we are well i came back to la and every time i get on the metro i'm just like these motherfuckers (laughs) (laughs) they don't even know in japan you can't even talk on their metros man you can't even say a word we did a whole play on one man they would have been so pissed they would have been so pissed i like that so how how involved is the setup when you have to stash all those cameras around oh yeah that's that's very high maintenance it is really it is really tough i mean we've definitely started to invest in like some button cams and some hidden cameras and stuff and we have to be really sly because you know you can't capture people without them knowing so like we had to replace one of the subway ads with uh you are being filmed kind of thing and hope nobody noticed which which we did successfully yeah that's that's Yeah. Oh, I mean, because people just thought it was an ad. They just like looked way over it. You know, it's fine. But um, you know, it's all renegade theater anyway. I mean, we're just trying to we're just trying to cause a little fucking stir up. We're just trying to change people's minds. No one's really going to get mad at us. You know, we didn't really show a lot of other people's. The the first piece is really artistically. Uh, shot and produced so you're not going to see a lot of other people's faces that are involved but you know the next piece we do it's it's more about the audience reactions about what we're doing than necessarily what we're doing yeah that's important to me as the production as the producer of the invisible theater so so you'll definitely be seeing us in la you that might not awesome. know you've seen us, but you'll see us. I'm, I'm excited. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. I'm <laughs> if you need some improv actors, we've been doing improv. You guys will years. be there. I will let you know specifically when and where it's happening, and you can just be there, and you'll see what happens. I want to yell at somebody. Can I yell at somebody? You're allowed. <laughs> you are totally allowed. I thought to I was the people. angry one. Yeah, well, <laughs> that's your normal character. I want to get in character. Oh, that's cool. Um, I have to be nice. You're going to be nice. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to give you a guitar, and you're going to sing, in fact. Yeah. It's going to happen. Clowns never laughed before. Yeah. <laughs> I want to. Hear, I want to see. I want to see him playing some John Mayer in, in a song. Yeah, <laughs> some Lincoln Park and toe sandals. I'm telling you that now. Oh. That's a rule Good, of mine. Then I would hate you. Well, <laughs> if you guys want to be involved, you are more than welcome. I, I would love nothing more. Yes, that that sounds more right. More the alley. merrier. Hell yeah. Mm-hmm. Jeez. 
But you were talking about art a second ago. This, this is more of an artsy piece. There was another thing that you did. The uh, it was a, a short film, the Requiem, uh, Love Requiem. Oh yes. Which I I, I I saw the beginning part of it. And it seemed very very artsy in the way. It is. It is a very artsy piece. It's a piece by Pascal Payant, um, who is a French Canadian director. He's um he's a very interesting man. He's done some really beautiful work. Um, that sounds really familiar. And not because... You're talking of, about Rucking for a Dream. Huh? Rucking for a Dream. No. Uh, no. I knew... Pascal. And not just because of Pascal's triangle, either. Okay. But, also another thing? Yes. Also another thing. <laughs> it all sounds him, vaguely his, familiar. His name specifically actually sounds familiar. I'm sorry. Yeah. He's been making, shaking up stuff and, you know, he's been out here in LA a lot. He, he shot with me in New York for this project. And to tell you the truth, I mean... Like, the project itself was very confusing. People either loved it or hated it. It was kind of one of those pieces, you know. I specifically wasn't thrilled with the way that it became edited because it was his idea of how the story should be told when he was really, really close to the story. And the story is about um, a a woman, a character, who was my character, Mm -hmm. who kind of... Um, she straddles this line between losing her mind and being sane. And by the end of it, it just shakes up and she just falls into this this non-real world that is when she loses her mind. Right. And uh, it was really cool because, I, I, you know, as an actor, I really put everything I had into it. Like, talk about method acting. This film... I can tell you, I literally went crazy for. Like, I spent a week shooting it, and there's this one scene where it's like her mind starts to split, and she's her in a chair in a black room. And these lights are flashing, and they're like, "Okay, we're gonna put the, we're gonna put the flashing lights in in post production. Just pretend you're going crazy, and the lights are flashing off and on." Yeah. And I was like, "Okay, okay, okay, I got this." You know, I prepared all day for this. You've been shooting all day, <laughs> and all of a sudden, you know, like after take number ten, I'm like. My eyes are balled out. I'm like so bright red. I'm like, okay, I can do one more. I got one more. Let's just do it. And I'm in the middle of the monologue, and all of a sudden, somebody starts flicking off and on lights for me, and that really helped me as an actor. And I was just like, yeah, man, I got it. And I like, it was my best take. And like, I'm crying and I'm screaming and I'm shouting. I'm throwing shit. And then and then we're done. And then I was like, you know what? Like, this is at the rap party. I was like. Thank you to whoever started turning off and on those lights for me because that really, really helped my performance. And Pascal turns to me and he's like, oh, nobody no. turned off and on those uh, lights, girl. Uh, you are... F- I was like, we're done. <laughs> we're done for today. Right, that's a wrap. I'm going home. <laughs> yep. That happened. Wow. But I mean, that happens to all of us as actors because we all get really ingrained in the characters. I mean, it's it's easy to let your mind go to places that you don't necessarily want to go because you, as an actor, are already going there. You know that that's your job. You, you fucking take that in the second that you read that script. You know, you're you're fucking. Th- I went crazy for a day. You know, it was it was fun. It was actually fun. I'm saying now, thank you very much. But yeah. you know, like it was it was a fun trip to go on. And well, because there was also there was some speculation back when the uh, the, the Batman came. Out mm-hmm. with um, Heath Ledger, the part of the, exactly. the part of he went crazy because he was playing the Joker. Exactly, and even Jack Nicholson has said at one point, I think he, he like warned him. At, at, You're going too far. Yeah, the, no, the, it, this character gets in your mind and it, yeah. it will fuck with you. Yeah, and some I, I don't know if it was directly related to him playing the Joker that he went crazy and uh, uh, went through some, it ran away with itself. Yeah, yeah went yeah. crazy in real life. Uh, so I, I can get that to a point, but I guess I I've think, never experienced it personally. I think one of the most I. I have to say, this isn't 
a specific example, but when I was reading about different methodologies, one of the most impressive things that I did read about acting was uh, some classic like actors back in the day, you're talking about black and white kind of stuff. It was bringing up specific examples. I can't remember them now, but many of them could just cry on command. Yeah, it's a a parlor trick. Being able to cry (laughs) on command, in my mind, I'm just like, that's that's fucking impressive. If you could just sprout tears immediately, I'm just like, damn. Yeah, and I need like five minutes to fucking start crying. Yeah, well... Can Can you do that? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh. Well, we don't want to... They also make tear sticks for that, actors that are listening. You don't have to... But here's the thing. In my acting school, we actually all had an all-school meeting when that happened uh, with Heath Ledger. And because we study a different mythology that you jump in and out of the character. But it is... The meeting was so important to this. They, they called every single class in together and they were like, listen, you guys, this is a warning sign to show you that it is just as important to jump out of character as it is to jump into character. You cannot live in that character. The second you walk off set, you break character and you're done. I mean, that's why the method becomes so dangerous sometimes. That's why the Lee Strasberg method becomes so dangerous sometimes because it is, you live that. And you, you know, you, that you can't help but take that home with you. But in, in the Stella Adler way is that you are playing. It's like a childlike mm-hmm. playing. And then you're done, you're done for the day. You leave that on the stage and you get to go back to being you. And you get to be like, wow, that person's like that. Man, granted, <laughs> I, have to put the, I have to put that fucked up on suit tomorrow, yeah. but not tonight. You know, tonight I get to be me and you get to distance yourself from it. Okay. So it's a little more healthy. It's a little more healthy because you don't have to necessarily drive yourself to that point to play that same level of character. Granted, you have to sit in that character for a very uncomfortable amount of time to really get the ins and outs of it, but you don't have to live as that character because that right. just fucks up with your brain. And, and that's really, you know, in my opinion, what happened to him too. And, and in a lot of actors' opinions is, is he really went to that extra mile that he necessarily didn't even have to because he had so much more to give us, you know, oh, yeah, and yeah. he got, he had to leave way mm-hmm. too fucking early for that shit. I mean, that's not, Batman is not worth it. He could have, he could have done that same character and still been here today. That is very true. Yeah. It's a damn shame. Yeah, he's that, a great actor. It was so awesome. Mm-hmm. Well, he ruined Batman as a trilogy, though, or not as a trilogy, but just in general, though. Now nobody could ever put that on, I don't think, oh, and ever step no. into those shoes. I know. And you know, it was weird because when, when I heard somebody was playing the Joker, there was not Jack Nicholson. I, I was, was upset. I was upset. But also, yes, yes, I was. And then, and then Jack he Nicholson did it. Was awesome. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm sorry. Oh, wow. I, I love Jack Nicholson I just because I feel like he's he's the the Rat Pack member that was never in the Rat Pack. And, <laughs> and I mean, you'll get he, him on here someday. He's yeah. he's uh he's just you know quoted as saying famous things like I only take Viagra when I have sex with more than one woman. <laughs> he's a pimp, and and he's just a G in my mind. He is totally, you know. So yeah. when he did what he did, I was just like. How do you follow that up? How's I mean, yeah. these are big shoes to fill. Yeah. And then when he Heath Ledger did what he did, I'm just like, fuck. That was just wow. mind blowing. Yeah, amazing. Indeed. Really amazing. Oh, all right. Well, th- there's one more thing I want to talk about. Uh, but before we get to that, I I have to bring up the new girl. Mm. You you were in the new girl with uh, Zoe Deschanel. Yeah, I with, stole her boyfriend. Yes, exactly. <laughs> in fact, I, w- I would go as far as to say, and I don't want to overstate it, but I think I will. That without your character, there's no show. Why, thank you. I mean, I was in the pilot, you know. I was yeah. kind of what started the whole uh, reason for her being a new girl. Exactly. She you became know? the new girl because of you. 
Why, thank you, yeah, so. Well, thank you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There we go. Yeah. But she's she's an amazing woman, so it's actually really, really cool. And and yeah. honestly, to tell you the truth, she's exactly like that character in real life. Is that right? Oh, my that God. So that happy. character was written for her, for real. Because I, I, I remember I fell in love with her back when uh, I first saw her in Elf. Yeah, and she's I just, so good in that. I, I just, I, I just, I, she was awesome to me. And then Katy Perry came along. I thought, like, she's stealing her stick because Katy Perry looks like her in, in a little bit. But, Carrie, but Katy Perry's fake. But Zoe Deschanel yeah. is really that person. That's, yeah, she doesn't that's put on an act to play any of those parts. And exactly. There's, there's a select few number of actors that can do that and just be themselves. And people love them for it because it's real. And that's the thing about film that's different than theaters. Theater, you put on a character and you play that. But in, in film, it's way more important to be yourself. You know, It's way more important to, to be somebody that we can connect with, that we yeah. can see in front of us every day. You know, And, and Zoe really is that. And she's so nice. And she's not oh. one of those. She talks to the hairdresser. She talks to the extras she talks to like you know people like me or just in a couple episodes with her you know like we were she's awesome she was like you know telling me what comedy troops to study with and like to take improv classes and like she's just a really cool person that's and, awesome and that's what makes people want to work with her again and again too because you know so she's happy. not a bitch yeah she's really actually cool and she's I, I, really I funny i couldn't picture her being anything except for just awesome yeah she is <laughs> she's really cool it was, oh, it was a pleasure to work with her for sure so how, how did you land that how does that whole process come about um actually that was my first gig when i got to la that was um I was just, I just happened to be in this casting office that was like, you know, it was, it was the, the first, the first episode, the pilot. You poor thing. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. No, 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 I'm just Whoa, saying. Other, other, other people there is just like, other people come to LA are like starving for months on end. Oh, that was my first gig. Just kind of walked in, yeah. got it. Well, network show. Yeah. It. <laughs> <laughs> but it was, it was lucky that it got picked up, you know, that that doesn't happen a lot. There's a that's lot true. of pilots that are shot that don't actually become shows. So. That's, yeah, that's true. Yeah. You know, I got really lucky with that one. But, um, you know, it, it turned out that the, the writer, Liz Merriweather, she just fucking kills it every week. Oh, yeah. And so she's just, she's really amazing and i walked in and you know what it was to me it was not i actually walked in for a different character i wasn't even going in for that role okay and um i really connected that it was like a casting associate and i was like yeah i just got in town she could tell i was new to like <laughs> la because i was like super professional and like i was like yeah <laughs> i hadn't had the world on my shoulders yet you know <laughs> and it was it was part of it too was the la thing is connecting with the casting director and like we really had a bond and i was just like you know i just got here and i'm so excited to fucking be here right now and she could just tell and and I just happened to have the right look and fit for the part. And in fact, they actually, they weren't sure because I was, um, I had to sing in the second episode. They weren't sure if I had the comedy chops to be, to, to play the same character in the second episode. They were mm-hmm, actually like mm-hmm. thinking of replacing me if I, if I didn't do a good job. So they made me come back and audition for my own part again oh. for the second episode. And it was actually pretty cool what? because yeah, no, it happens, man. They change people. Dude, if you notice the black guy in the pilot is not the same guy that's in the first episode. It's oh. one of the Wayne's brother's sons who's actually in the first episode, and they replaced him because he decided to go with another pilot that he thought was gonna uh, take do off. better. Fail. But I mean, but dude, the guy who who plays the new coach is really cool. So 
I worked out pretty well, but, um, yeah, I had to come back and audition for my own part and I had to prove myself and, you know, I'm better for it because I came back in now, you know, I'm, I do comedy. I've been studying with Leslie Kahn, who's fucking amazing for cotton comedy. And, um, uh, I killed it. I killed it. I had the casting directors rolling on the floor and they're like, all right, give it to her. (laughs) Give it to her. Beautiful. You know, just be fucking have fun with it. Yeah. So you you had to sing in the audition then to get the uh, second role? Oh yeah. oh yeah, I had to be obnoxious and annoying and be singing in the yeah. back. Cause I'm, I'm supposed to be annoying to her because I come back to like taunt uh-huh. her, you know. Yeah. So it was really it was fun. Kind of awkward that whole scene. Oh yeah, oh it was great. <laughs> Not for me. I was like putting my hands on her, yeah, like, giving her a back massage. <laughs> and the nice thing about working on that set is that they let you improv the fuck out of it. They're awesome. like, all right, so this is what it says in the script, but okay, let's do that one take, and then we'll just throw it away and let you do whatever the fuck you want to do. <laughs> Yeah, so it's like an actor's dream, you know, and that's that's the best you can do in comedy is like improv because it's gonna be more natural. It's gonna be what you think is funny, and it's just yeah. it's it's really cool. Jake Kasdan is the director, and he just fucking kills it because he comes up to you and he's like, "That was great, but now you're gonna do whatever the fuck you want, and that's gonna be even better." So let's do it. <laughs> nice. Go. That's yeah. how that one show, uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm, is. It pretty much is all improv. Yeah, well, I think that true. when it comes to comedy, I think it flourishes in a, a definite, like, no-holds-barred environment. Mm-hmm. When, totally. you, when you leave people unrestrained, then that's kind of like where the, the real, like, by-association kind of yeah. kicks in and you yeah. just fucking own. Everybody has their own level yeah. of humor. Everybody has their own thing that they think is funny. Nobody can write for you specifically what what is funny. Yeah. I mean, SNL has great writers, but at the same time, you know, a lot of this stuff comes off the cuff for every. Everybody, yeah. that's, that's funny. And it goes and back to what you were saying earlier about how... You hesitantly rhymed there. And Did you didn't I? want to. I felt like you just kind of <laughs> give the stuff off the cuff. And, and you were like, I don't want to rhyme on purpose. But I did accidentally. <laughs> I'm sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> Poets and I didn't know it. Oh, no, I was also rhyming. Like <laughs> <laughs> your accent. What was that? Oh, but you, you mentioned earlier about the... Um, the if you give somebody a paintbrush and say paint paint something, mm-hmm. yeah. it's harder than saying all right now paint something about this. And mm-hmm. That's one thing that we learned in, in uh, we were doing comedy sports back in, oh, yeah. in the high what school. What are you place. doing right there? Yeah, what, they they give you a improv like it's an exercise. First, it's like it's general, and and it's hard to think of things that are general than specific. General. But as soon as they yeah. you, you narrow your scope to one thing, all right, this one's about sports. Then you can start thinking of, of all Crazy. kinds of things because it's just now you're focused. I'm raping Jerry Sandusky. Nice. Wow. Right? All right. Nice. Bam. Bring it. <laughs> right? right? I am all about rape jokes for some reason. I yeah. don't know why. Holler. You and Tony Clifton, who is my other boss. <laughs> anyway. No, yeah. but the University of Minnesota, actually, where I went to school, they did a study that found that people who are under um, low ceilings are less... Uh, creative than people that are under high ceilings. And huh. it, this goes with the same kind of theory because it became... I could see that. Propo- un, it became inversely proportional once they went outside and there was no ceiling. They became absolutely not creative at all because there was endless possibility. Wow. So there's yes. something about the ceiling height and where you're at that like helps you feel like you have room to create. I yeah, suppose. Or, or in my mind, to fire, like basically. To, to say something that's funny directionally 
because if you leave it kind of like open space, it's kind of hard to direct your humor in a certain okay. genre, like right. space. I don't know. That's the way I just feel when you say those things. Makes sense. Yeah, but but if you're in like a low fucking stage kind of area, low environment, you could kind of step back and be like, okay, now you, I've created this this uh, stage area where I'm speaking to you as a group as opposed to just speaking in general. Yeah, and, and that was a tough thing for me to learn because – I feel like it's almost counterintuitive. If you feel if, if you have every option in the world, then it seems better than having lesser options. Mm-hmm. Yes. But having lesser options, it it gives you more focus. And yeah, it, it just it's just weird. It was very weird for me. Yeah, to to understand and it, I, I caught on very quickly that yes, now that I have a focus, I can start picking on certain things within that field versus trying to pick anything in space. All right. Like in improv, you always have to have the boundaries of who you are, where you are, and what are you doing. Yes. And yes. there you go. Mm-hmm. You know? Yes. But if you don't have any of those things, it's just like, how do I be funny? <laughs> I'm funny. I'm just doing stuff in a space. <laughs> the I don't robot. know what I am. <laughs> this is the, this is the exact reason why I hate sociology majors most of the time because oh. they talk about like how society constrains you into a certain like frame of thinking. Okay. And granted, perhaps it is uh, invasive, but my example to kind of like counter it is always just like you know you put you put walls on a freeway to direct traffic you don't call you don't say that cars are in car prison all right (laughs) isn't a car a prison it's kind of like in la it feels like oh in la okay well you're making an assumption of traffic here but my my point is is is, uh you know like especially foucaultian philosophy they're just like you know you're directing people's thought in a certain way okay okay i'm sorry sorry. you this got very nuanced you're right but this entire podcast has been very existentialist or um, in my defense i like it yeah it's all meta or something meta or something i'm not sure what that means yeah community yeah love you love you Uh, yeah all right anyway so uh so you did some singing which uh into the next transitional you also do uh singing as well yes i do Uh, how how what how you have so many things going on how do you I know. Wow. You're like an ADD person with follow through. It's true. <laughs> it's absolutely true. Well, you know what? Actually, you know, it's, 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 I feel like there are definitely creative types of people. And mm-hmm. I think you guys can agree with me on this because you clearly are as well. And it comes out in many different ways. And you can't really, you know, put it into boxes. It just kind of comes out. And yep. whether, whatever your art form is, however your creativity, creativity comes out it's just the way it's supposed to be and and for me that comes out in a lot of different projects i like to produce i like to act i like to sing i like to dance you know and you know back in new york i did traditional musical theater and those things were all combined in a lot of ways so Mm -hmm. it's it's now it's just they're kind of split up into different realms and they're all their own ponies running a race and they're all doing you know their own thing and so it's 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 cool it's just however just making sure that you finish the projects that you start you know, it is, that's a big part of it. Cause there's a lot of people like me that are, you know, a jack of all master of none, but mm-hmm. the more hours you put into each realm, what does they say? Like 10,000 hours or 27 something? Hour, 27,000 hours. 27,000 hours makes yeah, you an expert in the it. field. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no. And it's a true story. It's, yep. You have to put the hours into that field to become an expert at it. And, you know, if I have a lot of ponies, I have to make sure I'm putting the hours into each one of them if they're all going to succeed. So. The trick is, is just to find the thing that you can do while you drink. And then that's, <laughs> that's, all that's, of them. that's the all only reason them, we've 
podcasting for two and a half years. For example, the practice of drinking. <laughs> That's why I've been training for this for years. I didn't even know it. <laughs> drinking Olympics. I like it. I like how you went into the lifestyles of the rich and famous voice for Did a second. Did I? Yeah. You like it? <laughs> I can come back and be your announcer. That's what I'll do. <laughs> the Red Pack Podcast. Yes. That, that was Christian Hell. Yes. I don't know why, House, why you do that. <laughs> I want to get weird, Patrick like back it. in here to do the intros and outros. Mm-hmm. Our yeah. friend Patrick, he does the best Christopher Walken impression ever. It makes me what? like yeah. Christopher Walken's he, awesome. He makes me insecure to do my Christopher Walken Aww. impression. Yeah. And, and and let's fact, hear it. Let's hear it. Let's hear it. If you haven't heard, he's it, not here. We so we post it on the website, but yeah. we didn't uh, actually. I don't think put it on the RSS feed anyway. Yeah. So yeah, we'll we'll uh, plug it in here. But but I, I, mine is more like just like, hey, how you doing? The crazy thing about when you're doing walking is that you speak in a certain candor and you eliminate all the fucks, and that's what it sounds like. <laughs> yeah. No. Now, pretty good. Now, the, the trick is, and, and that's serious, because you could take Christopher Walken, and, and when you're speaking in Chris, you could just say it with, like, cussing like a sailor. You'd be like, mm. hey, what the fuck's going on over here, you fucking guys? What the fuck's up, right? Now, you take all the fucks out, and it sounds like Christopher Walken. You'd be like, hey, guys, <laughs> guys, what's going on over here? Accurate. I've and, never heard and, it said and, like that. And right. that's what I feel like he's doing. He's just self-censoring. He just cusses like a madman off mic. <laughs> Yet he's done TV. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so uh, exactly. here's uh, Patrick Barnett. It was on a, he was on a show with us. But here's him doing a little promo for the Rat Pack podcast. Yeah. Hi, this is Uncle Chris. And what? I've been very lucky, very fortunate to be a guest on this very happening, cool show on ratpackpodcast.com. And in case you're wondering, these guys are swinging. Yeah, right? Like, that just blows. <laughs> that, that's Mine right. sucks now. His, I was his, like, his, well, he's yeah, perfect. Christopher Walken. Right? If mm-hmm. you wouldn't have told me, it's Uncle Chris, I would have been convinced. For legal reasons. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> legal reasons. There you go. We could call his bank up and smart. assume his identity if yeah. we had Patrick on the phone. That's what we could do. <laughs> Split that up. Hi. Yeah, just, it's. Chris, I need all the money of the bank. Or yeah, just, uh, <laughs> make a reservation at some restaurant, say yeah. with, with his go. party at Spago, and then we get seated. There well, we go. Done. I'll work it out. I'll do some editing. We'll see what I can oh, do. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, back to your music, because we're almost out of time here, but I do want to talk about your music. The stuff that you have right now is, is uh, dubstep. It's electro. Is it's electro. Um, okay. this, the stuff I'm working on now, I just had a project released with Patafunk, which is a uh, new disco project which is really cool he's from disfunk nation which is a really cool group yeah i'm definitely trying to get into other realms of music it's the fact that i am you know a singer songwriter i work with a lot of producers to produce my sound so far but i'm working on my own solo album i'm working with robin holloway over here who um we are doing definitely we're getting away from the dubstep thing i mean dubstep i made a dubstep album two years ago in new york like in new york it was like popular <laughs> it was popular right before it was in la <laughs> it's it's not it, it's kind of true actually it's you know i we're really over it in new york but and and out here everyone's kind of getting over it too so it's like the stuff i'm working on now it's more the I'll whole goal 
<laughs> no. I mean, the whole goal is for it to be, it definitely is high energy. And the whole idea is that I want to, I kind of, you know, my stage name is Quasar because I, it's, it's, um, a quasar is a black hole that sucks in a shit ton of energy and then shoots it out. Oh, and it's like, nice. that's the kind of idea of the music. It's that it instills you with that kind of same energy that goes into it from the start. So it's, right. it comes out in a lot of different ways. It's definitely electro based. A lot of the projects I work with, the I have the, the, the biggest project I have is, um, daylight with this DJ named price from New York, which you can find on iTunes and Bport. Um, but I'm working now on some new disco projects. I have a project going with DJ Craddy, who is uh, LA based, and Stefan Jacobs, who is a really cool LA based DJ who does definitely do some more breakbeat disco dubstepy kind of stuff too, but in his own way. And he's he's really cool. I'm actually meeting up with him right after this project. So we're gonna we have we have some cool shit in the works for sure. That's for sure. But dubstep is kind of dead. I think we're all kind of sick of it, but it's definitely heading in a new realm. It's heading into something that is more interesting. It's going to be something that people have never heard before. You know? I agree, but the lemmings haven't caught on yet. <laughs> Damn it. Don't tell them. Dubs up so cool. Buy our albums. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Cut that all out. <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, no. I'm serious. I think they haven't caught on yet. And uh, when it comes to like Clubs in LA, for some reason, when you go like uh, Playhouse or Supper Club mm-hmm. and stuff like that, it's just the the same regurgitated crap that's that's basically yeah. played every weekend. And I think it is definitely headed in a new direction because they've been doing that for a long while. Yeah. Well, we're doing something more interesting now, you know, and that stuff still has a place. I mean, there's something really cool and grimy about dubstep. I mean, I was sitting next to um, this guy on a plane and I had the sticker from my, my dubstep label back in New York called Broken Teeth. And it was a Broken Teeth Social Club sticker on my thing. And he was like, what is that? And this guy on the other side of me, who I'm now really good friends with, he leans over to the guy and he's like, you know what dubstep is? It's like listening to a mob of angry bees inside of a broken speaker (laughs) (laughs) and liking it. (laughs) And it is like that. I mean, it takes you to this really cool, grimy place that you don't really get to go to in other realms. And, And it's a jump off point for other kinds of music for sure. But. It's showing you something that you have never heard before, which to is To me, cool. I think it sounds like robot sex. Oh. I like that. I like That's that. the future. I mean, it's oh, 2012. Really? <laughs> I thought I would at least have a hoverboard at this point. So right. robot sex is next. I'm oh, very by the way, I, I don't know if you guys know this. There was a Back to the Future 2. When he goes to the future, he goes to the date that just passed, maybe about two months ago. No, no, no. That that was actually uh, doctored. Was it doctored? Yes, it was doctored. Damn it, was, it. It, was, it was fake. Damn you, they Facebook They did it on memes. purpose. Yeah. <laughs> I, re- I remember Why? reposting that and somebody was just like, no, that's not real. Here's the real link. Meh. Oh, damn it. I know. Now and I'm then an they asshole. adjusted their suspenders and then an pushed back their, you know... God damn it. Da, da, da. Their glasses with so, so their tape in the middle. Thanks for taking that. I'm, I'm sorry. I had to because it was taken from me. I, was, uh, I, I wanted to get on board. Trust me. All right. So disregard that. Let that be stricken from the record. <laughs> You're the one who's striking it. Yeah. Ooh, yeah, I well, I, you know, I need it. <laughs> I I tell the midget stenographer to yeah, right. take it off. <laughs> that guy in the corner here. All right. So how can people find you, Ashton? You can find me um, on Twitter. I am Miss Ashton. And AshtonSwinford.com or um, SoundCloud slash Ashton Swinford. 
All right, fantastic. We'll put the links on our website for all that. Cool. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thank this you guys for having me, man. This is yeah. really fun. It's been fun talking, yeah. talking acting. I, yeah, yeah, right. Right, talking to people with that background, and existentially, right. and everything. Right. We've been so. covering it all tonight. <laughs> fantastic. I love it. So yeah, check the website for uh, for links. We'll uh, put some some of your uh, clips on there as well. Cool. And, uh, yeah. Until next time, I'm Adam. I'm Rex, and we were joined by Ashton Swinford. Thank you. Ciao, motherfucker.